is from Psalm 65, verses 1 to 13. For the director of music, a psalm of David, a song. Praise awaits you, O God, in Zion. To you our vows will be fulfilled. O you who hear prayer, to all you, all men will come. When we were overwhelmed by sins, you forgave our transgressions. Blessed are those who you choose and bring near to live in your courts. We are filled with the good things of your house, of your holy temple. You answer us with awesome (coughs) deeds of righteousness, O God our Saviour, the hope of all the ends of the earth and all of the furthest seas, who formed the mountains by your power, having armed yourself with strength, who stilled the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, and the turmoil of the nations. Those living far away fear your wonders. Where morning dawns and evening fades, you call forth songs of joy. You care for the land and water it, you enrich it abundantly. The streams of God are filled with water to provide the people with grain, and for you have ordained it. You drench it its furrows and level its ridges. You soften it with showers and bless its crops. You crown the year with your bounty and your carts overflow with abundance. The grasslands of the desert overflow. The hills are clothed with gladness. The meadows are covered with flocks and the valleys are mantled with, with grain. They shout for joy and sing. Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 8, verses 1 to 13. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately, he was, he was cured of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, See that you don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west, and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it will be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very hour. Now I don't know who here watches Britain's Got Talent. Anyone? Cool, I'm not at least on my own then at least, that's good. Um, but if you've ever seen it, you might remember a few years ago, uh, there was Susan Boyle on Britain's Got Talent. Now, if you, didn't, if you don't watch Britain's Got Talent, because you've got better things to do with your time, although I think it's quite good, Ian, it's quite good, um, you will know, most probably, the story of Susan Boyle. She came onto the stage, 
They'd built it up to make her look like she wasn't going to be very good. She was a little bit awkward. She said she wanted to sing like Elaine Page, at which the whole of the audience sort of cringed as if to say, yeah, right. And then she began to sing very much like Elaine Page. And everybody was shocked. It was a story of the unexpected. People did not expect to hear that voice coming from that woman, and they were amazed. Well, the passage from Matthew 8 tells us of uh, something that was unexpected too. Not only that, but it shows us two examples of faith and love and tells us something about the kingdom of God. So much of what Jesus taught about the kingdom of God was very much unexpected. And right at the start of this passage, we have a man who has leprosy. Jesus healed that man. Not only was that unexpected, not to us now, I suppose, because we've heard that story so many times, but to the people back then, it would have actually been downright shocking. And by stopping to heal this man, and then by going on to heal the servant of a Roman centurion, Jesus shows us something about the kingdom of God and the people who belong to it. The people who saw what he did back then would have been stunned and shocked. And I dare say we might be a little bit surprised by what he teaches us through that too. You see, Jesus had come down from the mountain with a large crowd. Now, if you've got a large crowd following you, that's another opportunity to teach them. But he'd been teaching them already. And there was a man who needed him. Jesus wasn't fussed about the crowd. He was bothered about the individual in front of him. He was interested in the individual, who in this case was the man with leprosy. His situation would have been a hopeless one. He'll have been up there on the list of most undesirable people. And what happened next would have totally shocked the people of Jesus' day. He healed him. They never heard of something so ridiculous, never mind witnessed it for themselves. But Jesus honoured the man with leprosy's faith, even though he was the most undesirable of people. You see, there are two whole chapters in Leviticus about dedicated to the laws concerning leprosy, about what to do if you have it, what to do if you come in contact with someone who's got it, what to do with your clothes if you've got leprosy. People were fearful of leprosy. It was a big thing. They were fearful of it for two reasons. That One, the illness itself, they didn't want to catch it. Um, it wasn't pleasant but also because of how people treated you if you had it. Long story short, you became an outcast, dirty, unwanted, unloved. You were labelled unclean, and not only were you labelled unclean, but you had to walk around saying unclean, unclean. And you weren't allowed to live in a community with other people, and you had to keep at least six feet between you and anyone else. Um, And that was if there was no wind. If the wind was blowing, the rule was 150 feet, so I believe. And what's more is that people who had it were seen to be cursed by God. Healing from the disease was so rare that it was considered that raising someone from the dead would be more likely. Now imagine for a minute, if you will, that you are that man with leprosy. Imagine the life that you had to look forward to or otherwise. Imagine what your options are. They're quite limited, aren't they? Well, this man mustn't have been thinking straight because he ignored all of society's rules and walked right up to Jesus and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. I am willing, Jesus said. He touched the man and he was made clean again. 
So what was his secret? What, how did someone so untouchable get Jesus to notice him? How did they even have the nerve to approach Jesus in the first place? How can someone with so little hope, so, someone so helpless, find the hope that they need? Well, it's simple. It's because he trusted Jesus to meet his needs. You see, first of all, he must have heard about Jesus from someone, otherwise he wouldn't have known that he was able to heal him. And when he did hear about him, he knew that he was the right person to go to. He came to the only person who could change his situation, the only person who could help him. And by calling him Lord, he's probably saying more than he fully understands. But he knows that God is there in Jesus, working through Jesus. And Jesus was God in human form. But he shows humility by asking him if he is willing to heal him. He speaks in faith by saying, you can make me clean, not give it a go once and see what happens or it's worth a shot. But he knows Jesus can heal him if he wants to. And if there was anyone looking on, Jesus did something that to them would be seriously unexpected. He touched him and he healed him. Jesus didn't have to touch the leper to heal him. He could have just said the words and the leprosy would have gone. But he touched him and he probably did that for loads of reasons. But probably if you touch someone with leprosy, you were at danger of becoming contaminated yourself and being considered unclean. But here Jesus did that anyway, and the illness just went. And Jesus obviously was not contaminated, um, because Jesus has the power over even the most feared diseases. Jesus reached out and touched a man who probably had no human contact for however long he'd had the disease. And Jesus made an undesirable man whole again. He told the man not to tell anyone, but to go and show the priest that he was healed and then he could be restored to society again. Of course, the man told people who wouldn't in that situation, but Jesus had simply wanted the man to go about things the right way with the right people as there were set procedures for these things. Like I said, two whole chapters in Leviticus about it. But Jesus shows us the unexpected here by caring about the individual, no matter who they are or what their situation He cared about those society wanted to label unclean or an outcast. And Jesus healed the man immediately. So the question is, do we trust Jesus to meet our needs? To that man with leprosy, he had two choices. He could carry on with things as they were. He could live life as an outcast, which wasn't really much of a life to live. Or he could ask Jesus to heal him. And he chose that option. He chose to step out in faith. He chose to go against what society dictated for a man in his situation, because he had faith in Jesus. His trust in Jesus was far greater than the fear of what people would say or think or do, and he had the courage to step out in faith. He trusted Jesus to meet his needs, and we need to do the same. We might not have a situation as obviously difficult as that one. It might not be that blatant, but there are situations that cut us off from other people, situations that Jesus could deal with if we just trusted him with them. The only thing we have to do is to do that. It's to trust him. It's to step out in faith knowing that he really will meet our needs. It's believing it and acting on it. In 1983, an engineer, engineer George Ferris, built a machine that bears his name, the Ferris Wheel. When it was finished, he invited a newspaper reporter to accompany him and his wife for its inaugural ride. It was a windy day in July, 
So a stiff breeze uh, struck the wheel with great force as it began its rotation. Despite the wind, the wheel turned flawlessly. After one revolution, Ferris called for the machine to be stopped so that he, his wife and the reporter could get off. In braving that one revolution on the windblown Ferris wheel, each occupant demonstrated genuine faith. Mr Ferris began with the scientific knowledge that the machine would work and that it would be safe. Mrs Ferris and the reporter believed that the machine would work based on what the inventor had said. But only after the ride could it be said of all three that they had personal experiential faith. How often do we step out in faith and trust that God is going to answer our prayers and do we truly believe that? To do that, we also recognise that it's Jesus we need to turn to in all things, not just difficult things. And that's what happens in the next part of our passage. They're now in Capernaum, and there's a Roman centurion. Roman soldiers were hated by the Jews as they were um, dedicated to the service of Caesar. And a centurion would be the man in charge of a troop of soldiers. He'd have been a Gentile, and so he'd have been hated for that too. Not looking good for the poor centurion, but in the eyes of society, he too would have been unworthy of Jesus' attention. But the people of the day will have been shocked to see that those who, G- who they viewed as unworthy were welcomed by Jesus. This Roman centurion also comes with Jesus, to Jesus with humility. He pleads with Jesus to heal his servant who's lying at home in agony and paralysed because the centurion's faith... Jesus asked if he wanted to go, him to go and heal the servant. The response from the centurion took this situation to another level of unexpected. He said, only say the word and he'll be healed. He knows that all Jesus had to do was say the word and his, his servant would be healed. He knew that he didn't actually have to go and see him and to touch him. He knew that his command was enough. The centurion's response was amazing because he understood the authority that Jesus had. And he acknowledged that he'd be unworthy to have him enter his home. It might be that the Roman centurion was referring to the ritual ritual uncleanliness Jesus would incur by going into the home of a Gentile. But it was probably more to do with him recognising his own unworthiness and sinfulness before Jesus. Whichever it was, he had an incredible faith that Jesus could heal his servant And he knew he could ask him to do it and it would be done. Jesus was the only one who could help him. He knew that he was the right man to help him because he had, just as he had authority over his servants and over the soldiers, and they would do whatever he asked, Jesus had authority over everything else. And that as well, by the way. (laughs) But none of us have power or authority over things in this world. The centurion had no power or authority over this problem. But he could face the situation because of the way he came to Jesus. Knowing that the power and authority that Jesus had over all things. Jesus heals the lame, the blind, the paralysed, the demon possessed, the lepers. And he even raised people from the dead. He calmed storms, fed the hungry, showed power and authority over every single thing on earth. The centurion is also a man with authority. The name centurion means he's a military leader and he's got authority over at least 100 soldiers. He knows what it means to have authority. He can command his soldiers to do anything and they do it. 
and he acknowledges the authority that Jesus has. He knows he could just say the word and that's enough. You see, Jesus had authority over things of this world. The centurion recognised the power and authority that Jesus had. Not only does he know that Jesus has authority over all things, but he also recognises, and this is sometimes a stumbling block, he also recognised that he doesn't, as in the centurion. He recognises that he needs Jesus. He needs Jesus in this situation so very much because no matter how much control we think we have over things, in fact, Jesus is the only one who has power and authority. And by coming to Jesus as he did, the centurion essentially says that he knows that he doesn't have the control or authority in that situation. He can't do a thing about it. His servant is at home and he's, he's not well and he needs to be healed and there's nothing he can do. There's only one man who can do something about it and he knew that it was Jesus. And that's what real faith is. Not just agreeing that we believe something. Not just placing our confidence or our trust or dependence in Jesus. But at the same time, also not depending on ourselves. So often we say we trust God in a situation, but we continue to try and work at it in our own strength. We need to let God have full control over every part of our lives. And in the eyes of the society of the day, if I can say that, the Roman centurion was unworthy of Jesus' help. But Jesus didn't think twice about helping him. You see, Jesus was astonished as well by the centurion's faith. He turned to the crowd and he said, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with so great a faith. Even those Jews among them didn't have the faith this man had showed. And so here he pointed that out. This man, a Gentile, showed more faith than anyone. That would have been surprising for the people to hear because the Jews who'd had the scriptures and the preaching of the prophets and had studied them inside and out, they should be able to recognise who Jesus was. They should be able to step out in faith, but it wasn't them. It was someone who they considered unworthy who demonstrated such faith and trust in Jesus. Jesus used this display of faith to teach them. And he said, I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into darkness where there'll be weeping and a gnashing of teeth. Now these words will have grabbed everybody's attention. Many will come. Well, where will they come from, you could ask? Well, the answer is from the east and the west, i.e. outside of anywhere we're normally thinking about. They can come from anywhere. Even Gentiles will find a place in the kingdom of God. People come from anywhere and everywhere is essentially what he's saying. He's saying that whether you belong in the kingdom of God or not has very little, in fact nothing to do with your heritage or your nationality. It's not based on anything cultural or anything external. Being part of the kingdom of heaven is based on one thing and that is a matter of your heart. It's an internal thing. God doesn't judge us based on our status in society or whether we fit in or not. He simply examines the state of our hearts. But the main thing is a question of faith. What he cares about is if you have real faith in him, which means you give him authority in your life. We should come to Jesus in humility like the man with leprosy and the Roman centurion did. We should come to him 
worshipping, acknowledging him as Lord. And we must come to God recognising our own unworthiness and that our acceptance into the kingdom of God has nothing to do with who we are, but everything to do with who he is. There's nothing we can do. It's all about him. It's about us putting our faith in him. But not just putting our faith in him in a kind of hedging your bets kind of way, but total trust and total belief. There's a difference between believing in something and acting on it. These two men in, this, in Matthew 8 were people who both acted in true faith and acted on their belief. Jesus always honours our, honors our faith when we're truly following him. No matter who we are or what our situation, whether we're an outcast or whether we feel unworthy, whether we consider ourselves to be undesirable or whatever situations we find ourselves in, might not always guide us or answer us the way that we want him to, but he always answers us and we can always trust him. Jesus was God in human form and God can do anything. He's not bound by space and time and he can do far more than we can ever ask or imagine. So we can trust Jesus to meet our needs now and always, no matter who we are, no matter where we're from or what we've done or what we consider ourselves to be. If we come to him in faith through what he did for us on the cross, we'll always be welcomed into his kingdom. So let's come to God recognising that we're unworthy and that we need to do everything in his strength rather than our own. It's not about us. It's all about him. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that we can come to you no matter what our situations. And Lord, we ask that you will give us the strength to trust you in whatever we face this week or in the coming weeks. Lord, we thank you that you are the creator God who is in charge of everything and we just put ourselves under your control and under your authority, recognising that we have no authority of our own. So Lord, we commit ourselves to you. Amen. Let's close by singing, 